Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com. DIY and How Studios presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Greetings, fellow diggers. Welcome to another edition of Deeper Digs in Rock. A rock and roll archaeologist, Christian Swain here, and I am behind the mic in San Francisco. In Deeper Digs, we dig a little deeper, go a little further with our exploration of diverse topics that tie in with rock and roll. It's the companion show to the Rock and Roll Archaeology Podcast. All of our podcasts can be found at our website, rockandrollarchaeology.com. Podcast, show notes, social media links, and our favorite, the donate link. Uh, bookmark it and please stop by from time to time. Okay, that's it. Let's get going. Chicago, one of the biggest selling acts of the 1970s, is an understatement. Second only to the Beach Boys in singles and album chart success among all American bands, Chicago ruled the airways from 1970 and well into the 1980s. Proudly from the Windy City, Illinois, they described themselves as a rock and roll band with horns, certainly a unique sound at the time. All the players were considered top-notch, and the music they played, a hybrid of progressive yet soulful with jazz undertones, was a recipe for success. They could rock it loud and hard, or lay down the sweet ballad with ease. It's not a wonder these guys ruled the airwaves. The band was formed around DePaul University in 1967. The original lineup consisted of Robert Lamb on keys and vocals, Peter Cetera on bass and vocals, Danny Seraphine on drums, Lee Lofnan on trumpet, James Pankow trombone, Walter Perizader sax and flute, and finally, Terry Kath on guitar. Until 1978, the lineup was essentially unchanged. Uh, the band seemed to be on top of the music world. It was that year when everything changed. They had just split with their longtime manager and producer, Jim Garcio, when devastation occurred by losing Terry Kath in a horrible gun accident. It could be said Terry was the heart and soul of the original Chicago lineup. Even the band members say that. What is certain is his fluid, incendiary playing style caused someone like Jimi Hendrix to tell others that Kath was better than him. Uh, high praise indeed. And that brings us to our special guest today. Michelle Kath Sinclair is the daughter of Chicago guitarist Terry Kath. A world-renowned DJ in her own right, she has just released her first documentary. 
called The Terry Kath Experience. It is a wonderful look at a child searching for a parent she never really knew and discovering the influence he had on those around him and the world at large. Michelle was only two when the accident that took her father's life occurred. While her mother always answered her questions and she kept somewhat connected to the Chicago family, she still felt something was missing. Having just started a family of her own, she decided an odyssey in film might put pieces of the puzzle missing in her own life. In 2011, she began a Kickstarter page in the hopes of raising enough funds to get the project off the ground. Apparently, a lot of people still love Chicago and wanted to help to the tune of $50,000, and that was enough to get going. In 2016, the film made the rounds of film festivals, receiving high praise, and is now finally available on streaming services like Amazon, iTunes, and others. Now, before we begin, I have to add a big, fat spoiler warning here. Uh, We talk about certain things in the film that you may want to view first. So before you go listen to Michelle and I discuss her journey, please go see the film. Got it? Okay, let's get to it. Welcome to Deeper Digs in Rock, Michelle Kath Sinclair. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course, of course. So, hey, first question. Have you seen the cover of 25 or 624 by Leonid and Friends, the Russian Chicago tribute band? Yes. Yeah, over over 400,000 downloads. I mean, these guys really nail uh, Chicago. Yeah, this is... This is great. And there's 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 a ton of these guys out there. You know, did did you ever think Chicago was going to be this huge? So, I guess my first question to you is when did you discover Chicago? When did you discover that your dad was in Chicago? Your dad was a rock star. Well, you know, for me, I uh my mom was always made sure that his kind of presence was around. So when I was really little, all of their items, the stuff from their house, the stuff that they had built together was around. And the the logo, the Chicago logo is on everything. Oh, you know? really? It's in the house, so, huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, just like there was, you, you know, little things my dad had, and it would just have the Chicago logo on everything. So it's like it was always around. And when I was really little, I used to hang out a lot with the band members and the band members' kids and um, – so it was almost like a normal thing. Like it wasn't a discovery. It was just like kind of. That was just <laughs> your Chicago life. Chicago kids, I call them. Yeah. Like uh-huh. when you're that little and, and you kind of are, you know, everyone was still making sure I was a part of something or present and knew who he was. And obviously playing you music. So people would always play me music or my mom would play me music. And I don't think I realized though the, immensity of it until I was more of a teenager and you have other people kind of saying, 
oh my God, Chicago, blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, oh, oh, okay. Like, it's not just older, my mom's peers that know this group. It's the bigger, it's yeah. bigger than I know. Was that like when you were in high school? Yeah. It, you know, when you're discovering music in high school and you're oh, yeah. starting to get into stuff and you start meeting people that um, are trying to be in bands or in bands. Well, that, that, must, oh, make, that must have made yeah. you really popular. I mean, uh, you know, well, <laughs> somebody says, hey, have you heard this band? And I said, well, yeah, you know, well, my dad was in Chicago. <laughs> you know, that's just, yeah, ace that one. Uh, no problem. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so tell us about how you began the journey of making uh, the film. What 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 inspired you to to kind of take this on? Uh, and, and was there an impetus? Was there something? Was, was it was it maybe that you know you, you know you've got children yourself and they're starting to grow up? Was it that you wanted to present your grandfather to them? Yeah, it didn't even so much start that way. I mean, I think you could look at it one way, which is that. Um, once you have kids, you start realizing, you know, oh, maybe the, this, this element was actually really missing from my life, having a father. And, um, even though, um, I have some really, really amazing father figures in my life. Yes, you do. Really different uh, when- just to let the diggers <laughs> know, your stepdad is Kiefer Sullivan, right? And yes. I think, I think now your mom is, um, uh, I, I don't know if I don't know if it's the correct terms. Boyfriend, uh, married, or whatever. But yeah, Jeff, I mean, Jeff Lynn is now your kind of like your father figure as well, right? Yeah, and they've been together for fifteen years. So yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I don't know. I'm like, I can't keep calling him your boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> but well, but um, when I was a little girl, my you know we were my mom was married to uh, another man um, who was very prominent in my early years of my life. And so I was very lucky in that way, but it's weird when you have kids and you start thinking biologically, I don't know what that's about, but you start thinking biologically like, oh, there is this guy. I didn't have them, you know, because I have a husband and my kids are going to have their dad around. And, and that kind of, I started to explore that idea. Uh I mean, along with the fact that I just really wanted to expose him as an artist, I thought documentaries were cool. And I thought, um, you know, I went to college. I was a archaeology major, actually. Really, <laughs> uh, anthropology major. Yeah, and I loved anthropology and film. Was one of the classes, which was like one of my favorite classes. And so I kind of always had it in the back of my head, something like this. So I, I mean, I just it was all these things. It was I think having a family. Um, being curious, uh, finding, as you can see in the film, it kind of starts with me saying how I found all his home footage. Yeah, these Super and 8 films, I think, like were, the, were the big thing, right? Amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. But he's filming it. He's not in it. So it's uh, like more questions. And then just like the general frustration, like you say, like people know Chicago, but they don't really know this side of Chicago. And they don't know him, you know. He's like the musician's musician. So... It kind of started with all these various different questions, and I guess now that the process is over, it was <laughs> it was also me figuring out how to make a film. It was like so it's various. There's like various layers to to why I really went head head into this project. Well, you you made a good film. Uh, it's uh, you know that's not, that's not an easy thing. This is this is your first film, correct? <laughs> This is my first film, yeah. yeah, and it's not an easy thing. <laughs> no, no, no. So when do, what, it's not an easy thing when you're when you when your core team, the core team, none of us were getting paid. 
this right. wasn't our job, you know? So that's why it took so long because everyone had to work. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a baby in the time that we started making this film. And so, um, yeah, I mean, and, and everything was a challenge. I'd get to the next phase and be like, oh, okay, this is new. Like just totally learning along the way. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but but um, storytelling is something that really I took a lot of time with. And I love storytelling. So it makes me feel really good to have the show, uh, you know, the film go out there and people talk about how great the actual story was. Yeah. uh, To me, it's very rewarding. I I agree. I I want the diggers to know that this is not a vanity project. It's it's a good film. It's a good story. Uh, It exposes uh, a side of rock and roll that maybe a lot of people don't know. Um, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I wouldn't call myself a big Chicago fan, um, but mm. you know, I, I obviously knew who they were. Uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. I thought of them kind of, you know, how Joe Walsh kind of says in the film, you know, are they a horn band or are they a guy <laughs> in the front? I don't, you know. I, 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 and by the way, Joe's great. He's like the Greek chorus in this thing. Uh, you know, he oh, yeah. comes up with a couple of these really good liners that you kind of go, oh yeah, that's that's very good. And uh, oh. uh, but. And when you're interviewing him and he says it, I oh, think there's you, one thing. You, you realize I think it's it right the horn band line. Oh yeah, I think it might even be the horn band line, and you can see me turn to the to my DP and the camera crew and go ah, like with this excitement, like oh my god, he's that's great it. gold. I just got gold. <laughs> right, saying, yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. Oh, that's very, very funny. Yeah. So, so, but it, it it is. I you know, and the funny thing about the film is that it exposed me to you know this. Uh, this progressive rock sort of Chicago side uh, that mm. uh, and and you know and the more that I I thought about them as okay uh, great uh, rhythm section amazing guitar player horns and they can all sing mm. I mean there's no stopping this band so yeah. you can you yeah. can see why uh, they they got picked up very quickly and you know I, I think with the help of uh, of um, Jim Garcio kind of pushed them and, and turned them into to, um, you know what turned out to be you know one of the seminal bands of uh, American rock and roll yeah yeah so what year did you start making the film well the first Kickstarter campaign which raised the first bit of money for us to really get going is 2011. Okay. Um, but, you know, for me personally, there's all the years before it where I'm basically exploring the idea of how to make it from someone that's never made a film before. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, so that you could say way earlier than that. And then my husband always reminds me that I actually had the idea originally after my son was born so, you know, those first couple months of his life, and he is about to be 13. So 13 years ago. Wow. You could say there was a, there's like a concept, there's an idea. And obviously uh, I moved very slowly because I was very dubious about getting myself into something that I'd never done before <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. Yeah, the never ending story. So, oh, wow. So, yeah. So you, I, I mean, it, it was a personal story. So you know the subject matter, and you're probably learning more about the subject matter as mm-hmm. uh, as, as you went along. Um, I mean, obviously, let's let's get the elephant in the in the room right away. And you 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 immediately 
answer it. I think it's the first uh, scene in the film, and that's where you you talk about your your father's death and the fact that it is it was pure accident. Although there were conspiracy theories and all kinds of crazy ideas of what might have been, but the long and short of it is you you make a hard stand and just say no. This was just it was just an accident. Yeah, when you know you're interviewing people, and, and it's a very tough subject to try to bring up. Yeah, I think everyone knows they're going to have to talk about this subject, but um, I'm very conscious of it and try to make people comfortable and only speak what they felt they could handle or what they wanted to speak. And it's interesting, um, you know, everybody, when we got to that point, you know, everyone has whatever they want to say about it. Um, but as you can see, as you saying in the opening, opening of the film, um, uh, Jerry Vaccarino, who speaks, uh, very passionately about the death because he was, they were very close friends at the time he passed. Yeah. And it was a big, I guess it's hard. Maybe I should have elaborated that a little bit more in the film, but at the time of his death, it was very like tabloidy, whatever you could say was tabloidy at the well, time in the seventies. Cause there's no, <laughs> let's, let's let the figures <laughs> know it occurred. Fact. It occurred at Don Johnson's house who was, it was just kind of getting to be famous, not quite Miami vice famous, but he, was still pretty well known at the time. So yes, it was tabloid fodder at the time. And so it, you know, people were just saying that he had, he had killed, he'd taken his own life. Right. Which um, people that knew him were very adamant about that, uh, about saying, no, that's not the case. And for me, exploring maybe things that I didn't know, um, which is kind of the purpose of sitting everyone down, like, okay, you know, I kind of know this, but is there other things maybe I didn't know and are going to come out? So, so yeah, you know, I was taking what I wanted to get out of the interview, but then also leaving room for people to ex- to express what they may have, you know, their experience of that. Because none of these people were there in the in the room with him when it ha- happened, you know. So. No. Which is another. Yeah, that uh, you know, it it it's it's a part of the story, but it's not the full story. In fact, it's it's I right. I, I really like that you answer it. Um, you know, really, folks, uh, it just it comes down to a, a pure accident, maybe drugs, alcohol, guns. You know, probably not the best thing in the world, but mm. that's not the legacy. The legacy is more. This creation of this incredible rock band uh, out of Chicago starts, uh, I think, at DePaul University. Is that right? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about DePaul University, <laughs> that whole clip to me, that I just find this, I find this stuff so fascinating. Um, the horn section of Chicago and Robert Lamb, the key player, all went to DePaul and were, you know, becoming classically trained. Right probably to go, you know, into orchestras and go play on that, uh, in that circuit, really. The rhythm side, you know, the street players, <laughs> Danny, my right. dad, and Peter Zatera did not go to DePaul. They were all gigging. They yeah. were there gigging. And so it's interesting to me. I've always, I loved that um, analogy, which is something I, I didn't know until I went and kind of explored that that time in Chicago and, and would have loved to have been in Chicago in 1968. How 
I mean, imagine the music scene that was happening there. I really wanted to try to paint that picture for everyone because I think it's so cool. Garage bands and that whole like late 60s rock scene. Um, Forget, we didn't even talk about um, segregation and the fact that you have soul happening in the kind of more black neighborhoods on the other side of the tracks, quote unquote. And like how everyone was kind of influencing each other and trying to listen to each other. So, I mean, what... What an amazing time! You don't, you just don't have that anymore. We have oh. the internet, and everyone can hear everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, it, it, it's a fusion. A fusion today happens uh, at light speed, whereas mm. uh, you know you had to go and search it out uh, back in back in the day. And and when you you know found it and exposed it to other people, it was something brand new, something incredible. So, uh, uh, and that yeah. is a little bit of what Chicago is. They've got a a little bit of a soul sound. They've got a little bit of a progressive rock sound. Uh, you know, they've uh, uh, they've got a bit of a pop sound uh, as well. And those three things uh, created this original quality you know you had this uh, uh, incredible rhythm section uh, with a with a horn uh, section and as, and as I said earlier you know a, a, a band that could sing as well you had you had three lead singers in there uh, in uh, in Peter Cetera your your father Terry Kath and uh, Bob Lamb right yeah. So yeah. that's that's pretty that's pretty crazy. So so and uh speaking of the you know gigging around Chicago and uh and the clubs and 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 mixing and mashing that together, you do this thing in the film that I, I wanted to bring up and that was your use of animation. I think you use it like three times in the, the opening of it. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, and then the club owner in Chicago, which is a great story, and I, I don't want to go too <laughs> deep in the story because I want the, the diggers to go and 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 watch the film, yeah. and and then the car crash at, at the end. But how did how did you come up with using the animation? I just want it because basically you're telling the story about somebody, and we have no video footage of this person. You know, I still have no video footage of my dad really talking or anything. So, um, in creating something visual for people to see and once we started compiling the story together and you you know you have in certain instances like the club the bar scene you have three or four people telling the story oh, it's like this yeah, is great yeah. everyone's telling the story i mean come on and then so what can we do how do we how do we so i kind of always wanted i i, I knew it right away I wanted to have some kind of animation in it. I was like, how am I going to do this? Is this animation just like over the top ridiculously expensive? <laughs> expensive, right, right. So, you know, I put it out, ad out there and I, I found this guy, Sky Jason Shields, um, who turned out to live literally down the street for me. And I was like, oh, this is great. He the fates. So close. Right. And we just started collaborating on on animation and I, I, I knew that like I wouldn't have a budget to just go all out on animation so we I, I was like okay opening sequence for sure come on 25 or 6 to 4 what can yeah. we do and he yeah. was like yes let's play and he just started playing and then um, I picked you know we kind of I kind of budgeted for three I was like let's do three animated sequences and, and let me figure out what let me see what what come what we'll need you know Oh, always go with the rule of threes, definitely. So, uh, and, and, and the 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 idea of the it's got this real seventies feel to it, you know. Uh, it's oh, kind of it's kind of like the Wonder actually, Woman, like the Wonder Woman uh, uh, yeah. intro from so we, the seventies TV show. Definitely intentional. But you know what? Actually, where it all started, and this is so funny because it actually didn't really end up getting animated, was um, freeform guitar that's how we kind of started. We put out this ad and we were like, we want this 
song animated. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Because free, freeform, you know. But then as we started developing the oh, story, that's right. we that's realized right. the freeform like, guitar too was was animated. That's right. Yeah, but it's it, you know it turned out to not be very an animated sequence. Um, my editor actually kind of made that all happen. Because in my mind, I wanted to play freeform guitar for a very long time with some really trippy animated sequence, but <laughs> I didn't know if like that was self-indulgent for only Terry Cass fans <laughs> and other people would be like, oh my God, what is going on now? Uh, but you know what you did do is you did I'm a Man. I think you, you let that play for like two minutes. Uh, and I think Introduction 2 gets a, a, a long uh, play yeah. as well. And I'll tell you, I, I'm a man. I mean, if you want to, folks, if you, if you want to see what an incredible band Chicago was, just go watch that sequence. Uh, it's yeah. really, well, it really sets you up and says, okay, these guys are And you know what's players. interesting about I'm a Man, though, and I didn't even think about this until we were kind of like going over the cut, going over the cut. I'm a Man has no horns in it. Oh, that's right. Oh, they're, all playing, they're all playing uh, percussion uh, <laughs> instruments. Uh, you're yeah. right, all the horn At guys are. At least in that, in that, in that it, like version, that broadcast version that we use in the film, there's no horns. Right, right. <laughs> it's, uh, so it kind of explains, to me, I'm like, oh, whoa, I totally subconsciously didn't even realize that this is the breakdown between the horn band and the, you know, the classical players and the street players. Right, 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 right. So, but in introduction, of course, then, which Terry wrote specifically so that everybody could kind of, you can Mm -hmm. say, look, here's, here's the band, which is the, the, the first cut on, on the first Chicago album. So yeah. it's it's all right there. It's all right there. So and that's the other thing. You got some really good clips of uh, of the guys playing uh, uh, out there. So um, so now your dad <laughs> didn't read music. He uh, he all oh. he was all by ear, right? Yeah, it's so crazy. Um, and I think you get a really good idea of it in the whole um, introduction segment in the film. Yes, because of um, the time signatures because, that are used. Yeah. And it's amazing because I have all his his um, writings, you know, when he was exploring music, I have all those sheets of music. And I'm a man, that sheet of music that I have is great because you have Jim Pankow explaining that he knew how to read music. And so my dad was telling him and he was writing it down. And then I have the piece of paper. <laughs> uh, right Jim there Pankow's in front of you, right. Writing. Yeah, yeah. He's, you can... And we can show that to everybody. A really cool thing is in my second Kickstarter campaign, these were the gifts that I gave away were prints of these, you know, copied prints of these uh, sheets of music. So a couple of our Kickstarter backers have have that in their collection. Very nice. Very nice. So now um, Caribou Ranch. Let's talk uh, a little bit about that. Yeah. You cool had, place. You had never been out there, it, or at least it I, seemed like no. you had. You never been out there. This, this I had was the never first been out there. How how is that first possible? <laughs> I don't know, and I wish I had spent my whole life there. It is just so amazing. So when I started putting the idea of the film together, I originally thought that would kind of be the end of the film. Like we'd build to this moment where I get to go back to this place with my mom that was so special for my dad. And I wanted to play um, the juxtaposition about 
his love for nature and his love for being this kind of like outdoorsy manly man. Yeah, yeah. What you, you bring up, I mean, that was part of part of his family life growing up. I mean, uh, his parents both, had a had, know, a had a place against out in the, the fact country. That, that yeah. And, and and then played against the fact that he was like being driven to be this music machine with the band, you know, it's like tour, tour, make an album, tour, tour, make an album. And I wanted to play those against each other. And so I thought going back to Caribou Ranch was going to be kind of like this end of the film, this closure for my mom and me to go kind of, you know, I mean, it's not the end of the film now because as you film, you, all these other things come up. But <laughs> But for me, it was important to go back there. Because, um, you know, in the film, we, we kind of make it its own little character because my dad loved it there. And they filmed, I mean, they recorded most of their albums there yeah. as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, uh, that, so. that's uh, uh, Jim Garcia's place, uh, or, or was. I, I, it, it was sold. I mean, I, I think you guys were actually there on the last day, right? Yes. Yeah, so we had <laughs> um, originally, you know, it took us a really long time, as I was saying, to do the film and I had gotten in contact with Gershio and he said, when you're ready to film, come up here and we'll just give you a cabin. You guys can all stay here for the week. Oh man, I was so excited about that. So I called and I was like, okay, we're ready. And they were like, well, you better get up here. Like now we've just sold it. You can no longer like stay on the ranch anymore. But if you get up here, you know, within the next couple of weeks, you can at least film some stuff. So yeah, it was crazy so we get to be the last people there as well before they pass on the torch yeah it's a it's a it was a bittersweet scene there uh you know you, you know your yeah. people are throwing stuff away uh and uh you know cleaning up and getting it ready for these new owners and i i, I take it it is not going to be a studio anymore yeah i mean who knows i don't know yeah yeah, it's a lot of a lot of great albums uh, were there. Chicago and others. Uh, there's a lot of mm-hmm. great albums out there. I mean, uh, Elton John's uh, album Caribou was 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 recorded there. Yeah. So you know, yeah. there's there's just so much, and it was kind of bittersweet to 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 see that. And um, you know, it looked like a lovely place, and uh, you know, especially uh, you know the old the, the Dick Clark uh, concert that was put on out there looked fun, and everybody had a good time. And uh, you know, that's now moved on to. To, to history so all right so yep. let's let's talk a little bit about the big find looking for the pig nose telly was that what mm-hmm. uh, how long had you been looking for that how how had that not been in your possession from since you were a little girl okay so <laughs> i know i know it's like how do you talk about it without totally uh, yeah i guess how, we can so do how, like a little we can do a little like disclaimer. Folks, hey, look, I'm going to do a little spoiler here. So if you haven't seen the film, pause the podcast, go watch the film, come back, and then you can restart. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Did you do that? Spoiler alert. Did you all go back? Okay. (laughs) All right. So let's not make sure everybody knows. All right. So at the end, you find the pig nose telly. And along with yeah. Strat 003, and we'll talk about that in a second. Mm. So how did that – how was that not a part of your childhood? How did you not have that in possession? I guess it was it was in your grandfather's possession, right? Yeah. All these years. <laughs> All these years. Um and it's funny because there's a lot of a lot. I mean, it almost all the pictures you see of my dad with his guitars. We don't we don't have those guitars. And my mom always talked about when he passed away. Um, 
people came over to the house, good friends of my dad, and she would let them take things because she felt bad. It was like a guilty feeling, like, you know, they have lost someone too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and all this stuff. And so uh, she wasn't going to deny people taking stuff. And then so many years later, she didn't remember, like, who took what. Or my grandpa took stuff and his best friend took stuff and my uncle got some stuff. And so she didn't remember where things went. But it was a storyline when we started the film that I was like, you look, I at least have to ask this question. And my, my DP Jordan was like, I don't get it. This is like, I don't, I don't get this storyline. And I was like, like, we just need to ask. Right. (laughs) I'm like, I'm going someplace with this for sure. But, um, just mainly out of the fact that like, um, every single person, uh, online has asked where that thing was. And so I knew there was something there. I knew there, there was, was something like some special meat in about it. It, right, it was right, like right. that treasure hunt thing, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, um, the hunt for something, the hunt for the for Mordor, Mordor in the ring. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. <laughs> so yeah, so we we really just went. We went around and we just asked people what they had as well. Like, what do you guys, you know, what do you have? What do you got? Like, do you have anything you can share? Because you never know, like, what films or pictures or whatever people are going to come up with. And so it became like a mission, really. And so it was a mission, and you finally found it at your uh, step-grandmother's house, right? Yeah, yeah. My grandfather, he's been passed away for about 15 years. Okay. Someone else was like, well, he didn't show it to you. And I was like, yeah, but he's been passed away for 15 years. So all in my adult life, like when he probably would have passed that on to me, I wouldn't, you know, he wasn't there to pass it on. And she was just protecting stuff, you know, as best yeah, as I think, she was told I think to she, do. Yeah, she, I think she says that, you know, uh, that these were always supposed to be yours uh, when you yeah. were old enough. I think she says something like that. So, uh, yeah. so, and it's two guitars. So the pig nose telly, uh, uh, so the first question is, oh, what are you going to do with the pig nose telly? Is it going to go to the Rock and Roll mm. Hall of Fame? I know. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, so far, no one's come knocking. <laughs> oh, really? But I have a feeling that w- that we'll probably do something like that. Yeah, that makes sense, and it, it would be cool. Yeah, and I think that would be a good a good. Uh, um, it would be a good place for it to be. It would be some place where people can go visit. Now, did I get it right that the second guitar, the Strat, with serial number zero zero three, is that really a nineteen fifty four? Strat, the third Strat ever made? I guess so. And Fender, you know, because I've tried to keep a relationship with Fender through the process of making the film, um, they were like amazed. Seriously, <laughs> they couldn't they couldn't believe it because they say what they do is they keep track of everything. You know, like all those first Fenders, they keep track who has them because it's a little piece of history for them. And they were like, we don't know. We didn't know who had that one. <laughs> Yeah, um, it was a blank in their in their uh, logging. So yeah, to find that finally, pretty amazing. Yeah, I wish I wish we could have more of a story. Like where did he get it and things like that. I don't yeah. know. Have you have you valued that guitar yet? No, I'm scared to. I would have that museum as well. Just for- just make sure you have it under mm-hmm. lock and key because. Oh yeah. What I found that I also didn't know is there's. You know, just like, I guess, jewelry, there's places for really valuable yeah. instruments. Uh, yeah, incredible. Kind of amazing. The owner of the um, Indianapolis Colts, Jim Ursay, do you know who that is? 
No. Okay, so he's a famous rock and roll collector. I mean, he he's a big Beatles guy, so he has like uh, Ringo Starr's mm. uh, kit. I, I think he bought something. What was it? It was a, a Beatles piece like a year or two ago. You know, for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, oh, it was uh, wow. it was John. It was John's guitar. It was John's um, um, Rickenbacker, mm. and and it, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think you're looking at the same thing here. It's, it's uh, yeah, maybe <laughs> serial serial number zero zero three. I mean, I, I missed. No, we the, could have funded the film. <laughs> exactly. The first time, the first I missed it. The first time I watched the movie, and uh, you know, because I was really you know invested in in, in finding the pig nose, right? And uh, and mm-hmm. the second like, time I watched it, that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, forget about that one. Open up the other case. But. But but the second time I watched it, I was like, "What? what? Wait a minute! Are you kidding me?" I went and looked it up online. Rewind. It was like, oh my god! Yeah. It is zero zero three nineteen fifty four. That's that's crazy. So and then uh, uh, you know in Akota, you were there for the night that uh, that Chicago was inducted into the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That must have been special. Oh, that was a really really special, phenomenal night. Um, the members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame um, committee couldn't have been more amazing and more nice and super uh, gracious in, honor, in honoring my dad and taking care of me and my husband who went together. I felt like a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> um, they were so nice and it, it was awesome. I mean, it was like, even for the filmmakers who I worked with, who obviously couldn't be there, we all kind of felt like, yes. We, this is like, this is, this is a really great kind of way to end our work and our film is to have Chicago get acknowledged for those early years. Cause I think they specifically in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame are honoring the early years of Chicago. Yeah, the original, the original crew. Yeah, the original, the original band. Yeah. The original band. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and and well deserved. Uh, you know, uh, I, I I think I, I have a feeling that uh, you know the uh, the place where Chicago sits in the pantheon will continue to rise. Um, uh, I certainly feel that way. And mm. uh, you know, uh, you know, these things uh, you know come and go, and you know, bands uh, rise and fall. But it's funny that you know we we talk about this music that uh, you know is now you know 50 60 70 years uh, old and it's still fresh it's still important it's still a, a topic mm. of, of conversation uh, and uh, Chicago and and your father Terry Kath uh, uh, are, are a big big part of it so you should feel very proud about that so you, yeah. you finished this film your first one what's the second film? yeah what are you doing now? Oh, man, I don't know yet, but um, I, I really hope to get an opportunity to do something else and um, trying to kind of ride this wave and pick people's brains and see if we can do something else and and do something creative and do something fun and take all the knowledge and mistakes and accomplishments that I've learned making this film and go at it again. I couldn't tell you what it would be yet though, but <laughs> So there's not there's not a subject. You don't you don't have a, a little black book with uh, all of these documentary subjects yeah, that you you, know, uh, you I, wanna you wanna hit on, huh? I, I yeah, yeah. I did start um I did I was like, you know, strike while the hammer's hot or the iron's hot or whatever. I'm yeah. really bad at those things. <laughs> the metaphor. <laughs> I'm the worst. I'm Visually the worst you're at good metaphor. at the metaphor, but, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> 
remembering the correct phrases. I'm off. But I, you know, I started playing around with things so that like if I could get, if I could get an opportunity to kind of like pick someone's brain and say, hey, I have these kind of ideas. What do you think? And if someone likes it and we could keep going together, that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, finding the right subject. And, uh, and of course, uh, would you crowdfund again or do you, do you think you would try to go you know, to the studio system? of? Some I wouldn't form? do that personally on my own. Um, I think that if I had a topic or a, a, you know, a subject that, that those people needed to crowdfund for, I could help them to do it, but I wouldn't do it in my name. I think I've exhausted my (laughs) making this film, but I do know how to crowdfund and I knew, I do know how to raise money that way. So I could do it with, with a group of people, you know, in the name of, of whatever that would be. Um, because I think it's a great way for small films like this to get made, you know? Yeah. We've seen, we've seen a lot of that, uh, uh, recently, uh, you know, the, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, GoFundMe, uh, type of, or crowdfunding, uh, uh, way to, to get these pictures made. And, you know, you, you made a really great personal film, uh, and it it just, it held up really well. And I just, uh, I I wanted to give you my kudos uh, on that. So thank you so much, Michelle Katz and Claret. Thanks so much for spending time with us today on Deeper Digs in Rock. Thank you for having me. On January 31st, 2018, Terry Kath would have turned 72. So it's fitting we put this interview out as a celebration to a great life and an extraordinary guitarist. A big thank you to Michelle Kath Sinclair for spending time with us today. I really enjoyed her first documentary, and you should find some time to watch the Terry Kath experience, even if you didn't heed the spoiler warnings. The film carries the weight of an authentic journey in finding oneself in the past and celebrates the experience. It also exposes the greatness of perhaps someone a little forgotten in the rock and roll world. Hey, it was some pretty good archaeology. A must-see. This has been Deeper Digs in Rock, a production of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Until next time, keep up the rockin'. Hey diggers, Christian Swain here with a short pause for a great cause. We believe music education for young people is an investment in a better future for all of us. If you listen to our podcasts, chances are you agree. Little Kids Rock has transformed the lives of more than 650,000 public school students by bringing music education into their schools. Little Kids Rock trains teachers in underfunded schools to teach kids the music they love. From the Beatles to Bruno Mars, 
Led Zeppelin to Lady Gaga, Chuck Berry to Chance the Rapper. Little Kids Rock has become a national movement to restore, expand, and innovate music education in public schools across America. Visit littlekidsrock.org and learn more about how you can help put music where it belongs, in our schools. Thank you, and let's keep up the rockin' right into the next generation. Deeper Digs in Rock, produced and hosted by Christian Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rnrap.com for more information. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 